The reading is Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehajel, and Mehajel was the father of Methushel, and Methushel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zila. Ada gave birth to Jabal, he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zila also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. 
Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, it's really exciting to be uh, here with you in that virtual sense that we're all having to get used to at the moment. These are such strange times, aren't they? And uh, I think it's fantastic that you're setting aside time on a Friday evening and a Saturday and a Sunday to meet up with others like you to be encouraged. And I'm praying that our study of God's word in our three sessions together will really feed us and help you to keep going and help you to know the Lord in these really, really hard times. You may think that's a rather odd passage to read. It's so full of mess and blood and sin, and um, it is a really mucky chapter, but it's also full, as our amazing God so often arranges things. It's so full of his grace. And I'm longing that we'll see some of that as we go through it uh, together. You know, these times of uh, pandemic feel really weird. It feels like being healthy, being able to live our normal lives, that, that's normal. And then we've got this pandemic going on and that's really abnormal. We, we're worried about dying and we're worried about people we love dying and we're worried about being sick and I mean I know as doctors we're, we're kind of used to that all the time but you know we we, we live in hospitals and health centres and stuff and, and we help round the edges to help people better so we can get back to normal healthy life and you know if we read it of the bible that's that's upside down you know, in, in Genesis chapter 3, the chapter before this one, we read, don't we, about how the whole human race turns its back on its creator. They, they were in the beautiful Garden of Eden. They had everything they could possibly want. They had every kind of tree for food. They had um, uh, the, the personal care of the infinite creator surrounding them with blessing. And it was fabulous. And then... The creatures of dust pushed the star maker to one side and said, I think we could run this better without you. And they'd already been told that if they broke God's law, they would die. So my question is, how come there's a chapter four? How come there's anything after that bit of the story? How come death is not the end? Death is normal for people like us who push God to the edge of our lives. Illness is exactly what you would expect, is the least you could expect for treating God the way that we treat him. And so the first place that we see the grace of God is the existence of a chapter four, the existence of the whole of the rest of the history, the fact that, that any of us is, is here at all because the same mistake that Adam and Eve make, we all make all the time, pushing God away like we'd run life better without him. And that really ought to mean instant death. But God meets that rebellion with grace and the story carries on. And Adam and Eve have children and 
more children and they have children and eventually you and I live and train as doctors and learn how to live in a broken world and how to help people cope with a broken world so that we get to the point of thinking that health is normal again. But it's not really. For rebels, it's very strange to be healthy living in the presence of a holy God. We're going to look at this uh, chapter in, a, in a, a couple of sections. And because we've all had enough of screen time today, haven't you? I mean, if not today, this week, we're spending so much time on our screens. We're going to have a little pause partway through. Uh, I'm going to, we've got two points tonight. At, at the end of the first one, which is slightly longer than the second one, uh, we're going to have a little break and then we'll come back and we'll look at the second section together. Uh, I hope you can keep the passage open uh, in front of you. I think it will really uh, help uh, as, uh, as we go through, if, if you can. Um, the first section we're going to look at um, is that story of Cain and Abel. It's the bulk of the chapter. And we're going to see um, how, how sin plays out in the human race. And we're going to see how grace plays out in response. And I hope as we do that, we're going to fall in love with God again. Fall in love with the God of grace. So, so God, in his grace, the story carries on. He lets these two rebels have children and um, they they pick up the family business as agriculturalists one of them's a sheep farmer the other specializes in arable and both of them have an instinct for religion it's fascinating isn't it do you see how, how it says uh, there verse two Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil in the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord but Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock now we're not told why they why they did that it's almost like it was instinctive for them to know that it was a Lord and to respond to him. I, I suppose it was a bit more obvious for them. You know, as, as mum and dad answered their questions about where have we come from, the story to tell was pretty short, wasn't it? God made us, put us in a garden, and we rebelled against him. I suppose, you know, they, they, they would have picked up something of the need to respond to this God rather more obviously than we do these days. But, but they do. They both bring stuff to him. And as we watch them... Um, kind of, we can't really tell them apart with any great certainty, can we? We see them both bringing stuff from their working life. Abel kept flocks, so he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Cain crops, so he brought some of the fruits of the soil. There is a there is a bit of a difference there as we as we watch them, isn't there? Um, he didn't um, know what he was. Uh, hadn't been told anything more at this point he just brings some of his um crops but Abel brings some of the firstborn the the fat portions uh, if you're a meat eater like me I'm a not only a meat eater but a meat and fat eater I think some of the best bits are the flat uh, are the fat we my, my son um chose for his 19th birthday to go to a steakhouse and uh, the owner of the steakhouse very kindly brought us not only the steaks we'd ordered, but a couple of other things he really wanted us to taste, including this gorgeous piece of Wagyu. And it was, I mean, if you've ever had Wagyu, you need to be on a doctor's salary to afford it. But um, it, it was absolutely delicious. The fat portions are great. Maybe there's something in Abel that says, if I'm going to bring a sacrifice, I need to bring the best. There's something about the firstborn also that's mentioned here. It's intriguing. I suppose if you're a, an, a, an agriculturalist, you're, you're raising flock, but the firstborn are the most precious. You know, if you're going to sacrifice those, you have to trust that there's more on the way. Maybe there's something in, in that as well. But it's not made explicit here. What, what happens is God 
gives feedback on both of these sacrifices. It, it's fascinating what he says. Um, on, on Abel's offering, you see in verse 4, the Lord looked with favour. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. He gives feedback, God. And um, the approval, the approval is not, well, I, I really love Abel, so anything he does, does I'm going to be pleased with, and I really don't like Cain very much. So, no, it's, it's on the man and the offering. God isn't saying that one of the boys is better than the other. It, it's Abel and the offering he brings. That's the way to go in relation to God. Bring him something God loves, and he will love the bringer. That's the message here. He approves Abel and his offering, and Cain and his offering he, he doesn't approve of. What does God love us to bring him? He loves us to bring him what is precious and special to us. He, he loves it when we demonstrate that we love God more than anything else we have. He loves it when we think the best we have belongs to him. But Cain... Cain hasn't learned that yet. He, he hears the feedback from God and there's an opportunity for him to learn. In a sense, um, you know, there's no great need for him to be angry. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? The Lord is saying to Cain, you know, the way's open for you to come. You could learn from your brother's sacrifice. You could learn from what he's done. You could do the same. How are you with feedback? I find it really hard to take feedback well. Perhaps I'll get some after the talk from uh, the others who, who are standing around watching. And uh, um, perhaps you'll send some in on the, on the message. It's really hard to take feedback that says, you, you've not done well, you could do better. And God has a warning for Cain. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. Uh, this is a big moment in Cain's life. He could learn from the example of his younger brother. That's a hard thing to do. Have you got a younger sibling? Have you, have you watched them do something and uh, found it hard to learn from them? Cain found it very hard. The warning was very plain. He, he could learn and get it right and be accepted by God. Or he could choose the other way. Maybe you can remember a landmark moment in your life, as I can. I'm thinking about one right now. A landmark moment in my life when there was a choice before me which I knew would be wrong and I knew it would be a terrible thing to do and I knew it might have implications for the whole of the rest of my life and I did it anyway. Maybe, maybe that's a decision that you've been facing even today. Maybe your situation feels very close to the situation of Cain. Cain does what I did. Gets it all wrong. He thinks he's the master. But really he's handing himself over to a tyrant. Sin is allowed to rule him. And God's judgment is swift and unavoidable. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he cried. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, 
Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You're an agriculturalist. You can't do that anymore. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. He was supposed to be his brother's keeper. Brothers are supposed to do that for each other. Sisters are supposed to do that for each other. But his anger led him to be his brother's killer. He couldn't have been more wrong. Back in Genesis chapter 3, human beings were not cursed. Oh, we're used to thinking about Genesis 3 as being the curse, but the ground is cursed and the snake is cursed, but human beings aren't cursed. But, but here... Well, the first two kids, one is now dead and the other is cursed. Dead in sin, under God's condemnation. The second generation of the human race looks again like it must end. The protection of God for Cain who still lives, is a mark of extraordinary grace. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And maybe there was a sense that he knew that is exactly what he deserved. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over and the Lord protects him. Make sure he won't die. Raw justice, if God was a God of raw justice, Cain and Abel should not even have existed. If God is a God of raw justice, after Cain has killed his brother, Cain should be killed. He should die. But God meets sin with grace, extraordinary grace. So how do you and I find the grace of God in our daily lives, we, we find it in one way because we're alive at all. We're members of this same human race. We, we continue to live under the grace of God where twice over, chapter 3, chapter 4, the human race should have been extinguished entirely. We live on every day because even in our, though in our own hearts we repeat the same attitude towards God all the time, we push him to the edge of our lives at various key moments and we say, God, I don't want you, I don't want anything to do with you. We, we push him to the edge. I want to go my own way. I'm going to let sin rule over me, do this thing I know to be wrong and I don't care about the consequences. It feels too good not to. I trust my own judgment above your judgment. I'm going to live without you and we should die. but we're alive. We continue to live in a world that is blessed by God. We eat, we drink. We have a job that brings life to other people who also don't deserve it. Do you, do you when I was training as a doctor, I was taught about um, the management of acute left ventricular failure and um, it was posture poppy pee. I don't know how much things have changed since my last shift but you sit people up, give them 100% oxygen, you give them dimorphine, I won't even try and remember the dose because I'd probably kill somebody um, and give them fruzamide and that was the, the, the immediate emergency treatment um, and 
I saw a house officer just out. I saw him do this to a patient who was, who was expiring in front of me. He sat him up, gave him oxygen. He gave him dimorphine and he gave him frusamide. And, and the guy suddenly starts breathing much more normally again so quickly. And the, the power in those syringes, those are two colourless liquids that get injected into this body. And the power of life over death. And it's in the hand of this junior doctor. Does it not blow you away that you have that power over people that God has given you in your hands, the power to save the life of people who deserve to die like you and I deserve to die? Are you not amazed at the grace of God that surrounds you in bed after bed, in bay after bay, in hospital after hospital, in surgery after surgery, in consultation room after consultation room, that the grace of God is pouring out around you and even through you to people who don't deserve it. Isn't that not staggering? The grace of God in which we live every day. But how will we know that at the end God will accept us? How will we know that we're right with God? Because Cain wasn't right with God. How can we get right with God? We repeat Cain's mistakes. How can we be right with God? And Oh, we could read the whole of the rest of the Bible to find out what we're going to skip just to Hebrews chapter 12 as we come towards our break. We learn from Cain and Abel, if we bring what is precious to us, what is most precious to us, we'll be accepted by the Lord. What's, what's the thing that God has given into our lives that is most precious to us? It is not our medicine, it's not our brilliance, it's not our goodness. The thing that God has given us that is most precious to us, Hebrews chapter 12 will tell us. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to the church of the, the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. How have we come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect? How did that happen to us? To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant who, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out from the ground, guilty in the ears of God. We are guilty in the ears and eyes of God. But the most precious thing he's given us is the blood of his firstborn son that cries out a better word than guilty. It cries out the word of innocent. And that sacrifice God has given to us that we might bring Jesus to him and say, Jesus, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Holy God, I am a sinner. I push you to the edge of my life, but I bring Jesus to you. And we're accepted, not because of our goodness, but because of his. Do you love a God who will treat you like that? Can I love a God who will treat my sin in that way and give what is most precious to him so that it could be the most precious thing I have so that I can bring that back to God and know that I'm accepted? What amazing, what amazing grace. It may just be that when we're trying to feel good about ourselves, we're trying to impress God with what we can do. We're trying to run through the list of our achievements or, or we're trying to remember how good and important it is to be a doctor and what an important role we fill in society and those are rubbish things to bring to God to try and impress it with. 
the only thing we can bring is his own dear son sacrificed on a cross for us. And that way we find his amazing grace. We're going to take just a few moments break now. We're, we're on the downhill. We've just got a few minutes left to look at the rest of this chapter. Before we do that, we're going to take a few minutes break. You may need to uh, have, a, ha- have a break, get away from the screen, uh, whatever you need to do. If you're going to sit and think, just think about when you want to feel good about yourself, where do you go? When you want to impress people, what do you do? This passage reminds us that we have only one plea before a holy God. If we want to know what God thinks of us, we have to bring the most precious thing we have, the Lord Jesus Christ, and know that that sacrifice in him, we are innocent. Let's have a few minutes. Welcome back. I hope you uh, had a chance to give yourself a little break from staring at the screen. We're nearly finished in uh, our look at this extraordinary chapter, Genesis 4. We've seen the grace of God in response to the sin of Adam and Eve, that there's even a story to tell, and you know there's a Bible full of his grace. We've seen the grace of God in response to the sin of Cain, and uh, we've thought about how that reminds us of his grace to us in our sin when we're like Cain. And he provides that most precious sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We're going to see now how God responds to the sin of human society. Because Cain and Abel were not the only children. Adam and Eve have more children. And indeed Cain has children. Verse 17 is where we pick it up. Cain made love to his wife. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and so on and so on. And then you have Lamech. Verse 19, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. So we've got uh, more agriculturalists here. But then his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. We have... Musicians, we have uh, the ancestors of uh, our musicians here. We've, if you play musical instrument, this is where it goes back to. They play stringed instruments and pipes. Zilla also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. We've got technology now. At least we've got metalwork, and technology comes from that. This is a society of increasing sophistication, a society of increasingly competent surprising and remarkable human achievement. This is the society out of which Beethoven will come and metal and Metallica and smartphones and Minecraft and art galleries and Tower Bridge and the Shard and all those medical devices you use to save people's lives. Out of this will come medicine. Out of this will come all kinds of things we now take for granted. But the really important development that the Bible is encouraging us to track is not the complexity and sophistication of human society and achievement. The question really important to us is the heart, what's happening to the human heart as society multiplies. Well, bizarrely, and yet with a curious tone of familiarity about it, wickedness replaces real greatness. Lamech said to his wives, 
Ada and Zilla, listen to me. Wise of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Oh, Lamech is such a powerful man. He's so strong, he can do anything he wants. Coronavirus wouldn't get him. He is judge. He pronounces sentence, and if he's offended, he'll make sure he takes revenge seven times over. More than that, 70 times over. Uh, these people started out human, and they have degenerated into gods. But have you seen the National Gallery? Human beings have glorious creativity, but how easy it is for us to use it for our own greatness and not for the worship of God. How easy it is to go to medical school and use it for our own greatness and not for the worship of God. We are sophisticated and we are godless. We are rich and we are rebellious. We are clever, so clever, so accomplished and so awfully proud. This is what humanity's like. God's patience is amazing. With Cain and Abel, with Enoch and Lamech, with you and with me. But how can it last forever? How can God's patience last forever? Well, it turns out not all children are the same. Adam and Eve have another child, Seth. And Seth's family doesn't all end in destruction. Seth eventually begets Noah. And that's another story. A family that God chooses to save through the judgment that they deserve. But after the story of Seth and the beginning of hope that there might be a way for God to endure with people who deserve only judgment, you have this most extraordinary way to end the chapter. There is murder. There is murderous revenge that is being boasted about. There is immense wickedness. But somewhere, somehow, in the very last sentence of Genesis chapter 4, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Somehow, in the middle of all of that, some people are praying. And, and there are some of us here in this conference. Some of us have begun to pray. We've begun to talk to this great creator God. Even, even doctors, even those with the power of life and death in their hands, the power to give life, the power to take life, even those people have amazingly begun to pray to the Lord, to, to be humble before him, to bow before the great one, to worship the one who alone is majestic and holy. Somebody said when I was a medical student that doctors were like the priests of the new age because they were the ones to whom people now looked for hope. They were the ones that people were most likely to trust. Out of all those they used to trust, it wasn't the clergymen anymore, it certainly wasn't the politicians or it was or the lawyers, it was the 
doctors that people trusted. So isn't it absolutely remarkable that those that some corners of society anyway even want to have a round of applause for every Thursday night, those great ones, some of them at least are learning to bow their knee before the Lord and pray. Genesis chapter 4 teaches us about sin in the human family and the grace of God in response to it. Amazing, extraordinary grace. And it teaches us about human society and how it's multiplied with all its complexity and it talks about the grace of God in response to it. And if you want to know where you see the grace of God in response to the judgment of our world, Genesis 4 tells you to look for people who are praying. And if you find them, you see evidence that God hasn't yet given up that God is still gracious and kind and good and has a plan for this human race that will be realised through the people who pray. Let's finish our first look into the Bible and our conference by talking to God ourselves. Now let's bow our heads miraculously and pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace in response to our sinfulness. Of all the powers and abilities that you've given us as human beings to create and do and save and heal and restore, you have taught us to pray. And there are millions of people that you've taught to pray to you and call on your name. We do that now, Lord. We ask in your name for your grace to us and your grace on this world that you would not give up on us, that you'd keep sustaining us and keep calling more people from all over the world to call on your name. And please, as we continue to meet over this conference, would you encourage us that in our greatness... <laughs> in our great sin and our pride, you would continue to extend to us your grace that we might know you and call on you with greater and greater certainty and security and humility and delight because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.